Hello, my name is B, and today on Books with B, I will be reading three books for you, um, followed by an oracle card pulling um, for all of us collectively, and then we'll have a moment of personal reflection and potential self-growth if you're interested. The first book I'll be reading today is called My Name is Bilal. It is by Asma Mobin Udin, illustrated by Barbara Kiwak. Aisha's white scarf draped gracefully over her head and shoulders. From the parking lot in their new school, Bilal saw that none of the other students were dressed like his sister. Suddenly, he felt afraid. Aisha clutched her notebook to her chest, showing that she too was afraid, but she was smiling as she walked towards the school building. A gust of wind blew off Bilal's cap. Do you need help? Aisha called as he ran after it. No, I'll get it, called Bilal. You go ahead. Aisha nodded and turned toward the school, ignoring the stares and the whispers of the other children. Bilal's cap came to rest in some bushes behind a tree in the schoolyard. As he bent to pick it up, he saw two boys following Aisha. One of the boys grabbed her headscarf and tugged on it. When Aisha spun around, the boy let go. He and his friend ran off laughing. Other students giggled at Aisha's lopsided scarf. Bilal stood frozen behind the tree, unable to run to his sister's side. His heart was pounding. Then he heard the school bell ring. Bilal wished his family had never left Chicago. At his old school, there had been lots of Muslim kids. Here, it seemed that there were none. The cold, hard windows of the new school glared at him. He knew he had to go inside. Bilal bowed his head and shuffled up the empty sidewalk. Bilal found the classroom he had visited with his parents the week before. He sat down without looking at anyone. Class, we have been joined by a new student, the teacher announced. 24 pairs of eyes turned to look at Bilal. Bilal looked up. The bully who had pulled Aisha's scarf was staring at him. Again, Bilal felt afraid. Had the boy seen him walking with Aisha? Mr. Ali, the teacher, was calling his name. Bilal, Bilal. Bilal spoke at last. Al is my middle name, he stammered. My first name is Bill. Mr. Ali looked at him for a long moment. Class, I want you to introduce yourselves to Bill, he said. One by one, the students stood up and said their names. Scott, the bully said when it was his turn. He scowled at Bilal and he did not stand up. Mr. Ali began talking about an assignment. Bilal tried to pay attention, but all he could think about was Scott's mean stare and the way Scott had laughed at his sister. Bilal did not even dare to look at him. As soon as class was over, Bilal tried to slip out of the room. Mr. Ali called him before he could reach the door. As the other students filed past him, Bilal slowly turned and approached his teacher's desk. Peace be upon you, Mr. Ali said. This was the traditional Muslim greeting and he spoke in the Arabic language. Bilal had heard these words every day of his life. Today, though, he looked around to be certain the room was empty before he replied. And peace be upon you, he said. I enjoyed having dinner with your family last night, the teacher told Bilal. The last time I saw your father was 30 years ago, long before either one of us had come to the United States. Yes, sir, Bilal knew this. His father loved to tell stories about his school days with Mr. Ali. Now, the teacher leaned forward to look at Bilal. 
Son, why did you say your name was Bill? Because I want to be like everybody else. Nobody else in the class has a name like Bilal. But Bilal is a common name for Muslim boys, Mr. Ali said. Bilal looked down at the floor. I don't want anyone to know I'm Muslim, he said, almost whispering. You won't tell anyone, will you? The teacher stood up. I will keep your secret, Mr. Ali said kindly, but I have a book that I would like you to read. You can do a book report on it. Can you come with your father to evening prayers at the mosque tonight? Bilal nodded. I will give the book to you then. That evening, as his father sat reading the Quran in the mosque, Bilal looked for his teacher. When he found him, Bilal stared in surprise at the title of the book Mr. Ali was holding. Bilal ibn Rabur, friend and helper of the prophet. I've never heard of anyone famous named Bilal, he said. Bilal ibn Rabur was the first person to give the Muslim call to prayer during the time of Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Bilal lived about 1400 years ago, Mr. Ali said. He would climb to the top of the mosque and recite the Adhan. His strong and faithful voice reminded Muslims to pray throughout the day. It must have been easy to be Muslim back then, Bilal said. Things are different now. Mr. Ali shook his head. Life was hard for the early Muslims too, Bilal. People in Mecca hurt them and tried to make them forget God, but Bilal and the early Muslims knew it was more important to please God than to please the people. What did the people in Mecca do to Bilal? Find out, Mr. Ali said, handing him the book. As Bilal turned to leave, the gentle sound of the call to prayer filled the mosque. God is the greatest. God is the greatest. The Arabic words began. Bilal watched people line up for prayer. He rarely prayed at the mosque. Come to prayer, the voice beckoned. Bilal decided to stand in line beside Mr. Ali. Maybe God would help him feel less afraid. That night, Bilal read from Mr. Ali's book. Bilal ibn Rubur was a slave whose family came from the ancient land of Abyssinia, near where Ethiopia is today, actually. He became a Muslim in the Arabian city of Mecca. The people of Mecca tormented Bilal by throwing him to the ground and placing heavy rocks on his chest. They said they would stop if he agreed to worship their gods. Every time they put another rock on him, Bilal would say, one, one. It was his way of telling them that there was only one God and that he remained God's servant. Bilal laid back on his pillow thinking about what he had just read. Bilal felt a crushing pain on his chest. The rocks were heavy. They were hot from the desert sun. His skin was coated with sweat and he could scarcely breathe. Bilal heard voices chanting, change your name and we will stop. In his dream, Bilal was calm. My name is Bilal. I am a Muslim, he told the angry people. Despite the pain, he knew that he had nothing to fear for he was pleasing God. Bilal awakened with a start. His room was dark and cold, but the dream was still with him. At school the next morning, Bilal saw Scott standing in front of Aisha's locker. The boy wore a t-shirt draped over his head. When Aisha approached her locker, Scott turned to a friend and spoke in a voice out loud. I got a terrible haircut yesterday, he said. Now I have to wear this t-shirt on my head until my hair grows out. His friend burst out laughing. So did some of the other students in the hallway. Aisha stopped at her locker. While you're waiting for your hair to grow, would you please move away from my locker? A few of the students giggled. Scott pulled the shirt off his head and glared at Aisha. 
This is America, he growled. We don't wear dumb things on our head. If this is America, I can wear what I want, Aisha said, lifting her head defiantly. And I want to cover my hair. Now please move. She wants to cover her hair, Scott told his friend. Maybe we were wrong. Maybe she's not bald after all. Bilal hurried to his sister's side. Leave her alone, Scott, he said firmly. Scott and his friend stopped laughing. What do you care, Bill? Scott demanded. She's weird. She should go back to her own country. The hallway was silent. Every pair of eyes was watching Bilal, Scott, and Aisha. Bilal took a deep breath. My name is not Bill. It's Bilal. My sister and I are Muslims, he said, stepping between Scott and Aisha. And America is our country. We were born here. A school bell shattered the silence. Students walked away without another word. Soon, Bilal and Aisha stood alone in the hallway. Aisha, Bilal said to his sister, I'm sorry I didn't stand up for you yesterday when that boy pulled on your scarf. It's okay, Aisha replied with a smile. I'm glad you're on my side today. As they turned to leave, Bilal caught sight of Mr. Ali standing in a classroom door. From Mr. Ali's expression, Bilal knew that he had seen everything. Bilal smiled at his teacher who responded with a nod and a thumbs up sign. After school, Bilal joined some boys who were playing basketball at a nearby park. Bilal ran up and down the court, passed the ball to his teammates, and shot at the basket. The rhythm of the game helped him forget the trouble at school, but not for long. Bilal saw a boy standing behind the fence frowning at him. The boy was Scott. For a few minutes, Bilal ignored him. Then a new game started. Bilal walked over to the fence. Scott, do you want to play? He asked. You can be on my team. Scott looked surprised. His frown faded a little. I guess so, he said, but I can't stay very long. Bilal dribbled the ball down the court and took a shot. It arced toward the basket, but bounced high off the rim, right back into Bilal's hands. Bilal saw Scott standing near the basket. He pushed a bounce pass to his teammate, and Scott scored an easy layup. Two points. As they ran back down the court, Scott caught up with Bilal. Nice pass, Bill, he said. I mean, Bilal. Bilal grinned. Great shot, he told Scott. When the game was over, one of the older boys stopped playing. I need to take a break, he said. I'll be back in a few minutes. He walked off the court. I have to go too, Scott said. I'll see you in school tomorrow, Bilal. Bilal waved at Scott and smiled. Then he asked his teammate where the older boy had gone. He's Muslim, the boy said. He always prays in the afternoon. Bilal stared at the boy in surprise. You don't mind that he stops to pray? Nope, gives me more time to practice, the boy answered. Bilal caught up with the other boy. Peace be upon you, he said, and peace be, on, be upon you. I'm Hakeem. Hakeem held out his hand and Bilal shook it. My name is Bilal. The words seemed to come from his heart. Saying his name made him feel strong. Let's pray together, he said. The two boys watched for prayer at a drinking fountain. Hakim took a prayer rug from his duffel bag and spread it on the ground. Bilal stood beneath a clear blue sky as Hakim sat behind him. The autumn sun shone warmly and a gentle breeze cooled their faces. A quiet feeling of peace settled over Bilal. With a voice carried to the hills by the wind, for Hakim and for himself, Bilal gave the call to prayer. That was My Name is Bilal by Asma Mobin Udin. Illustrated by Barbara Kiwak.
Our second book we'll be reading today is Me, Frida by Amy Noveski, illustrated by David Diaz. On the warm cobblestone streets of Cayocan, everyone knew her name. Frida Kahlo lived in the blue house with her husband, the famous artist Diego Rivera. Frida was an artist too. The night the telegram arrived inviting Diego to San Francisco, Frida dreamed of a city far from her home in Mexico, and she painted a portrait of herself there. Then she packed her blue trunk and she and Diego flew north. Frida had never left Mexico before. Soon they were standing in the very city she'd painted. Diego, big as an elephant. Frida, a lovely little bird on his arm. They lived at 716 Montgomery Street in the artist's quarter, beneath a leaky grass roof, beneath a leaky glass roof and dangling globes of light, they drank cafe con leche and ate sliced oranges. Outside, the world was cool and gray. Frida felt very far away from home. Diego was working on a mural for the city. While he sketched, Frida was restless. She strummed a guitar. She sang Mexican folk songs called Corridos. Quiet, Corrida, cooed Diego. He loved his beloved singing, but there was work to be done. Before Diego began painting, he wanted to study his subject. Frida followed him as he explored the city. They climbed up and down its many steep hills. They gazed up at its shiny skyscrapers. Diego thought they were great, like ancient ruins. Frida disagreed. They explored orchards and oil derricks, a gold mine and redwood groves. They stood beneath the towering trees. Diego felt empowered by everything he saw. Frida fell asleep on the way home. And then with a team of assistants, Diego went to work painting entire city walls. Some nights he didn't come home at all. Other nights, Mr. and Mrs. Diego Rivera attended parties. The city's elite celebrated Diego. Frida stood quietly at his side. No one ever even looked at her. On the long days without Diego, Frida felt lost. She was in a foreign city, she didn't speak much English, and she didn't have many friends. So Frida started exploring the city on her own. She wandered through narrow street markets, she touched pretty birds in tiny ornate cages, and searched in little shops for silk to make skirts. She admired moon-faced babies. Frida especially loved Chinatown. It smelled of incense, fish, and fog. Soon, Frida felt bolder and rode on a streetcar. She took a ferry across the Golden Gate and walked in the green headlands high above the ocean. From there, she could see the entire glittering city and all it held, including Diego. It was small enough to fit on the wing of a bird. For once, Frida felt larger than life. Me, Frida, she felt like she could fly. Frida went back to Montgomery Street and painted. She knew she was an artist too. While Diego painted his monumental murals about town, Frida painted small portraits at home. The local press called Frida's portraits passable or good enough. Good enough was not good enough for Frida. She wanted to be great. 
One night at yet another party, all eyes were on the great Mexican painter, Diego Rivera. Frida stood quietly at his side, but she could hardly contain herself. She thought the Americans' faces resembled dough. She missed Mexico, and she was tired of being quiet. Suddenly, Frida began to sing, not just any songs, but the Mexican folk songs she sang to Diego while he worked. All eyes were on her, including Diego's. Huzzah, he shouted at the end of each verse. He always knew Frida was marvelous. That night, Frida painted something great, a colorful wedding portrait of herself and Diego. She painted Diego big and she painted herself small just as the world saw them. But Frida knew she was more than this and she put herself first. In the beak of a pink bird, she wrote a tiny note on violet ribbon. Here you see us, me, Frida Kahlo, with my adored husband, Diego Rivera. I painted these portraits in the beautiful city of San Francisco, California in April of 1931. Frida's painting, Frida and Diego Rivera, was featured in the sixth annual exhibition of the San Francisco Society of Women Artists. It was her first show. Adorned in her best dress and necklaces of ancient jade, her jet black hair braided, Frida walked proudly through the crowd. When people saw her, they stopped and stared at her in wonder. Our final story for today is Elephant Prince, the story of Ganesh. Text by Amy Noveski. Illustrations by Belgen K. Wedman. This is a story of India in a time of gods and goddesses, began a mother to her son, and a boy who became the Elephant Prince. How did a boy come to have the head of an elephant? I will tell you. In the heart of the continent was a small city of amber palaces and rose-colored temples, fragrant gardens and groves of sandalwood trees. The sun shone like gold and birds of every feather filled the air. A girl named Parvati lived here with her family. She was a goddess and she was a princess, but she was also just a girl. But Parvati was not like the other girls. She was always alone, daydreaming about the stories her mother and her mother's mother told her. Stories of faraway places. She was more interested in stories than she was in boys. Then she met Shiva. The great god's name made her girlfriends cover their mouths with the ends of their saris and tease her with their eyes. Parvati, they giggled, must have been struck by an arrow from the god of love. Parvati thought Shiva was the loveliest of all. He was a brilliant shade of blue, and he wasn't like all the other boys. He had seen the world. In fact, he was responsible for giving shape to it a little bit at a time. Shiva thought Parvati was beautiful and blessed. He liked that she was a princess, but didn't act like one. It wasn't long before he asked her to marry him, and she said yes. After the wedding, Parvati left her beloved home and went to live with Shiva atop a mountain high above the clouds. They were happy, but because Shiva was busy building the world, he went away often, leaving Parvati all alone. Shiva always received a festive farewell. When he was gone, the silence in the palace was broken only by the cries of distant peacocks. Not even stories could fill the emptiness. Parvati missed her home. 
She missed her family. What she wished for more than anything was to have a child. She wanted to be a mother. Shiva wasn't ready yet to be a father, but he couldn't stand to see Parvati so sad. And so he told her that if she promised to think about her wish, and only this wish, for one year, it would come true. Parvati happily promised, and then she traveled all the way to the Ganges. There, she offered the sacred river a gift of 100 glowing candles and thousands of flowers. Each day, she dreamed of having a child. One year later, just as Shiva had said, Parvati found a beautiful baby boy lying in her bed as if he'd always been there. His face was round and bright as a moon. Parvati lifted him high in the air. She loved him instantly. Is he the elephant prince? asked the boy. Not just yet, there's more to this story, said his mother. When the gods heard that a prince had been born, they descended from the heavens to gather around Parvati and her newborn son. The sun crossed the sky in a golden chariot driven down by the dawn. The moon followed in a silver chariot pulling the night behind. Then Mercury and Venus arrived. Next came scarlet Mars and beautiful Jupiter. Last to arrive was the blue planet Saturn. His name was Shani. Parvati proudly showed her baby to each and the god smiled brightly upon him. Even Shiva beamed. But when Parvati came to Shani, the shy god lowered his head and turned away. Parvati insisted he look. Shani couldn't bear to disappoint her. Slowly he turned and looked at the boy, and the boy smiled. Parvati smiled too. But her joy soon turned to horror when she remembered that whatever powerful Shani gazes upon is destroyed. It was too late. Her child's head has turned to ash and blown away. Parvati fell to the ground with her child in her arms and sobbed. Then, the god Vishnu stepped forward and promised to bring the boy back to life. On the back of an eagle, he flew to a jungle where he found a wise old elephant resting in a bright clearing. When the elephant heard what had happened, he bowed and offered his life to save the boy. Vishnu placed the elephant's great head carefully on the boy's shoulder. All of the gods held their breath. For a moment, the world was silent and still, except for the buzz of insects around the hush of birds' wings. Then, to his mother's delight, the boy slowly opened his eyes and laughed. Sweet golden bees made a crown around his head. The gods celebrated with a great feast. Then, after they had eaten hundreds of sugar cakes and their bellies were full, they blessed the elephant prince. Each gave him a small gift, a garland of marigolds, a string of beads, a bowl of sweets, a parasol, a conch cell, a lotus. The sun gave him a pair of ruby earrings and the moon a pearl necklace. The earth gave him a pet mouse. And then the gods gave the boy a name. Ganesh, the elephant-headed one. Parvati had a gift for him too, a silver pen and crystal bottles of colored inks. Then she told stories stories her mother and her mother's mother had told her, and stories of her very own, and Ganesh wrote them down. But what happened to the elephant? The boy asked his mother. The elephant, she said, will live forever. And the boy with the elephant's head, he asked. Why, his mother smiled. He is loved by all, but most of all by me. This story seemed to please the elephant prince most, for he wrote it down word for word for word.
today in front of me, I have the Work Your Light Oracle deck. It is a deck of cards. For those who don't know, Oracle cards are decks of cards that have multiple messages on each card, and you can shuffle them up to your liking and then pull one and take that message as you feel fit for that current moment. So I'm going to shuffle these cards and stop talking for a moment. going to pull the top card off the top deck. Answer the call is the card we got today. That sounds very exciting. Um, I'm flipping to page 36 because that is the page it is on. What is your soul calling you to do? I'll now read the message sent to us. Your guidance is divinely guided. You are being called to answer the call of your soul. It might be scary. It might not make sense. But if you trust your soul's yearnings, you will live a life beyond what your mind could possibly imagine. Answering your soul's calling is not a one-time thing rather than a lifelong dance. Deep down, you already know what you long for, what your soul yearns for. Whatever you are called to do, that is your calling. Don't overthink it. Don't wait for permission. Just say yes. Most people are waiting for a step-by-step -step plan before they take the first step. But intuition doesn't work like that. It takes faith and courage to answer the calls of your soul. And that's why most people don't do it. But you are not most people. You are in exactly the right place to answer your calling now. You don't need to know the whole plan. You don't even know, need to know where it's leading. You just need to take the next step. No one has ever had the complete perfect plan. There is no end destination. There is no right or wrong way to do it. And you do not need permission from anyone else. Sometimes, the more resistance we have around answering a soul calling, the more important it is to our soul's growth. What is your soul calling you to do? Okay, so I think that something that would be quite wise for us to do is talk about that um, slightly. So I'm going to give my example of maybe something that I took away from that, and then I'd like you to maybe like pause the episode or just take a moment maybe it's already in your head and just think about like what resonated with you and like what you took away from that message. I thought that was very fitting for my podcast, the podcast today, because this is my first episode and this is something I felt called to do by the universe, source, God, whatever, whoever you believe in. If you don't believe in anything at all, chance. So I, my soul was calling me to make a very easy to listen, calming podcast that anyone of any age can listen to. So now you can go ahead and, and you, if you journal, it would be great to write it down, but if you don't, there's no big deal. And you could just think about it. Like I just did out loud here and yeah. So what are you being called to do? It's a great journal prompt. Yeah, great journal prompt. <laughs> Got my cat Mason here, and he is just being the cuddlest bug. He is just loving all over me. 
Okay. Now, the last thing I'd like us to do today on this podcast, Books with B, is to just take a moment and brainstorm something that you're proud of, that you did, something that you're proud of. And I want you to think about it. And then that I want you to just say out loud. Just say it out loud. Just if you're alone, that's perfectly fine. Just say it out loud. You're the only one that'll hear it. If you're with people, you'd be like, hey guys, this is what I'm proud of. And if you really don't want to say it out loud, don't. I don't want you to be uncomfortable, but at least think about it. Uh, so I'm going to think about it for a moment. Okay. I think I've got it. It's a simple one, but there's beauty and simplicity. And sometimes that's exactly what we need. So something I am proud of today, June 19th, 2023, is the fact that I got up, I got out of bed, I had a great morning with my dogs, and I am now having one-on-one time with myself and my kitty cat. And I think that that is super important. Whatever fills your your soul is what you're supposed to do. So I'm super grateful for the opportunity I have to put this podcast out there and I hope you enjoyed it today and I hope you come back for another episode. Thanks for listening. This is B signing off on our first episode on Books with B.